Well, good morning. We are uh, continuing in our series here in Colossians, so if you're using a physical Bible this morning or even one on your phone, uh, you can flip to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to finish up chapter 2 today. Hope you've been uh, enjoying this study. I know I've really enjoyed just kind of being in this, soaking my mind in this for a couple months now. In fact, we were down visiting Melissa's folks this week, and her folks are really into Gaither. Anybody into Gaither, like the Gaither homecoming stuff? Yeah. So uh, they were listening to an album, I think, by the, the Legacy Five. Anybody know the Legacy Five? Hey, there we go. And like every song they were listening to that we were being subjected to, no, it was good music, but it, it was all like a, a theme from Colossians, you know, it just every song was a different theme from Colossians, and I was like, hey, this is like the soundtrack for the study we're going through right now. And then the title of the album, which I would say is probably, could easily be the title of Colossians, is All Things New, right? Being made new, which is really what Colossians is about, which excites me. I love studying this kind of stuff, talking through it. I love to, to see what Jesus has done by his death, burial, and resurrection, that we joined him in his death, burial, and resurrection, that those physical realities for him became spiritual realities for us. It's just pretty exciting. Today, we're going um, to kind of get to what follows this. Uh, at least in Paul's mind, what is, what's the logical uh, next step in our thinking regarding this, which is really about people coming in and trying to steal away from us the greatness of this death, burial, and resurrection, the truth of this death, burial, and resurrection in our own lives, that there are those who will want to take that away from us, rob us from that. And Paul is going to guard us against that this morning. So let me pray for us, and we'll, um, we'll get going. Lord, really thankful. We were just talking about just for this uh, series, for this, this book, the truths that are in this book. It is so amazing to learn these mysteries, these things that uh, we just wouldn't know apart from you uh, revealing them to us. But then once we know them and we walk in the knowledge of them, then we see it all the time. And I'm just thankful for all the ways that you've renewed us in our thinking and our hearts and the way that that's impacting our lives, impacting our ability to love our families and our friends and uh, be good uh, employees, and just the ways that you're, you're transforming us uh, as we allow these truths to, to, to transform us. Pray as we study this passage this morning that you would help us to, uh, to know what we need to know, to see the things in our lives that we need to guard against so that these truths are not, are not stolen from us, uh, the realities of these truths are not stolen from us. As always, I Pray you'd help me to get out of the way and just let the text uh, be very, very clear this morning. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So uh, I will warn you this morning, as I was preparing for this, I thought that I may offend a couple people in the room this morning. Uh, I may offend you. There may be some things that we talk about that might, you know, rub you a little bit. And I'm just going to say, if that happens this morning... I hope at least you'll consider that maybe it's just the text that's rubbing against you, the truth that's rubbing against you, and not me. If it's just me, ignore it, right? But if it's the truth that's rubbing against you, I pray that you'd allow it to do the shaving that it needs to do, that it, the adjustments that it needs to do in, in, in your heart this morning. But just be prepared that some of that's probably coming. So here we go. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. He says, therefore... 
Based on all this uh, death, burial, and resurrection stuff, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, that we have died, were buried, and rose again, that we have this new circumcision of the heart stuff, uh, that's, that's where he's been. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regards to food and drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. So he says, no one is to act as your judge, uh, which is an interesting statement, What he's not saying is that people will not judge you, that people weren't judging the Colossian believers. They were doing that. Certain people will always judge someone else over things that they wouldn't do. Like they'll go, I would never do that thing, right? There are people who will always offer their opinion on what you're doing in your life, right? You know, you'll do something and they'll give you that look that's like, oh, really? Oh, you know, they will do that. That's not the, the question. He's not saying that that won't happen. It will happen. He's also not saying that we're to act in an unloving manner toward those who judge us. That somehow we're supposed to be like, don't judge me. Back off, you know. That's not our job, right, to do that. What he does mean is that we don't let that judgment from others change our behavior. We don't allow the judgment of others to actually dictate how we live. The issues in Colossae were coming from multiple influences, at least from what we can understand. As we talked about when we first opened up this book, Colossians is probably the book we have the least historical information on. We've got a lot of it, but we've got the least amount. And I told you that they're doing this dig now in the mound, the tell where Colossae was. We're going to find out a lot of bunch of, a bunch of stuff. It's going to be good. But part of it is we don't know exactly what the heresy that was coming into the church was. We only get a flavor of it from the letter. And it seems like it's coming from multiple places. But one of those places was clearly from a Jewish influence, Right. Uh, At this time, there's this group that we term as Judaizers. They were those who were coming in and trying to get new believers to put themselves under the Old Testament law, to be bound by it again. And that's really what this section is talking about, that there were those who would come in and say, yeah, 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 Jesus is great. I'm glad you're following him. Nice job. But you know what? You're eating the wrong kinds of foods. Or you're not preparing your food the way it's supposed to be prepared. See, God's people have always prepared their food this particular way. And God's people have always not been able to eat these certain things. So you need to do the same thing, right? They're bringing in this judgment on them. They would bring in um, these festivals, which were these Jewish festivals. There were many of them. The Jewish people... Um, regularly uh, celebrated uh, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. These were things that went on every single year. And they were trying to place New Testament believers, New Covenant believers under these festivals. Wait, you don't celebrate that? Don't you know this is the weekend we celebrate the Red Bluff Roundup? You got to be a part of that thing, right? By the way, I've got some judgment from you all that I haven't been to the, the Red Bluff Roundup. No, just kidding. But that's the thing, that they would like pass judgment on people not doing these things, right? What's interesting about this particular graphic that I was looking up is this graphic actually comes from a modern group who's doing this same thing. They're trying to claim that we need to be a part of these festivals or we're not truly saved. Interesting, right? They also um, were, uh, might have passed judgment about the new moon 
festival or sacrifices. The law required that at the beginning of every month, which in the Jewish calendar was the new moon, was the beginning of the new month, that they had to offer sacrifices and offerings in the temple. And so you got to do this thing, right? God's people have always done this. It's in the law. He's very clear about it. Why aren't you doing this? God's people do this. They would judge them about the Sabbath rest, right? Which was very important to the Jewish people, very important to their identity. And there were tons of rabbinical traditions over this day and what you could do and what you couldn't do on Saturday. And there was judgment over that. Yeah, sure, you have Jesus, but now you need to add the Sabbath rest. You need to add a group of laws and rules that we've come up with. God's people have spent hundreds of years coming up with these rules and laws, and you need to be under those things. Now, to be clear, there was nothing wrong with people engaging in these things. In fact, many Jewish Christians still engaged in these feasts. That was, it was a cultural thing. They were, they were happy to be a part of it. Many Jewish people still did a Shabbat dinner and, and uh, spent their, their Saturday resting from things. The problem is not these traditions, right? The problem is that they were passing judgment. They were passing judgment on others who wouldn't participate in these things, considering them less holy, less worthy of God's love. There were even things that I would say for many Jewish believers uh, would have been matters of conscience, in which if they, if they, for instance, if they worked on a Saturday, then they would feel really guilty over that, right? And so Romans 14 is very clear on these sorts of issues. This is verse 22. It says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but the one who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, the context of this is eating certain types of foods that were sacrificed to idols, but it, but it goes to these other issues of conscience. Like, if you think working on a Saturday is wrong, that you think it's, it's somehow uh, causing a problem between you and God, and you still choose to work on a Saturday, you're sinning, right? Even though there's nothing about Saturday, right? So these people, if they had these particular issues over this, they should submit to their conscience and do the thing that won't wound their conscience, right? The problem is not people holding to these things. The problem is me holding you to obsolete Old Testament or other religious laws, right? That's the problem. Or the flip side, which is really what he's talking about here, other people's judgment of you, you allowing that, you submitting to that, you going, wow, man, I don't want to get that look again, so I'm going to change my behavior. We need to avoid that. Galatians 5 says this. I love this verse. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's us. That's our responsibility, not to let other people and their judgment of us enslave us once more. You are free in Christ. We are free in Christ. Live free. Don't allow them to subject you to slavery again. Then he explains why in 17. He says, These things, which are only a shadow of what is to come, 
but the substance belongs to Christ. These things that they were trying to place them back under were only the shadow of things to come, not the substance of the thing. Imagine if, this is going to be a ridiculous illustration, but imagine if I just decided that I was going to start interacting with your shadow, right? Like every time I saw you, uh, I'd be like, hey, Kathy, how's it going? I, how you doing? And then Kathy's trying to talk to me, and I'm like, hey, hey, shh, I'm trying to talk to the shadow here, right? Like that would just be strange. Why would I spend my time talking to your shadow, right? Especially at the expense of ignoring the substance. Kathy's trying to talk to me, and I'm like, shh, I gotta listen. I think the shadow's gonna say something, right? Like this is ridiculous. He's like, why would you spend your time focused on the shadow when the substance is here? The real thing is here. In fact, in that ridiculous example, if I just lived the rest of my life talking to Kathy's shadow and not letting Kathy talk to me, I would know very little about what's going on with Kathy, right? Almost nothing. I would sort of know her basic shape, sort of, right? Like, nothing. And just like it would be very, very strange for me to do that, it's also very, very strange, should be strange to us, to let others' judgment of us cause us to spend our time on the shadow, on the unimportant thing, when Christ has come and and he has done so many amazing things, and that's the substance, right? That's the real thing. Jesus casts a long shadow back to the Old Testament. Right? There were many, many, many old covenant things that pointed to the reality of Christ. There were many food laws and, and other laws about how to be holy and be different that was pointing to the fact that Jesus was going to make us holy, right? Which he has. We talked about that very early on. He's made us saints, right? It was pointing to that. You have this Passover lamb that's pointing to the lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. The Passover lamb is not the thing. Jesus is the thing right? The, d- the day of rest for the Israelites was pointing to our resting for our, from our works in Christ. The, that's just a shadow. That Sabbath, the real Sabbath, is us being able to rest from our works, us being able to rest from trying to impress God. He's not impressed, by the way, <laughs> but we can rest. They weren't the fullness. Christ is the fullness, Right? To focus on the shadow when the reality has come is pretty foolish. And to allow others to get us to put our focus on the shadow when the reality has come is just really unfortunate. Galatians chapter 3 says it uh, this way. It says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. This illustration he's using um, is, we don't really have this kind of idea anymore, this guardian or a nanny. I don't know, if, does anybody watch those like British period dramas? Melissa and I really like those kind of things, right? They have these things called governesses there, which were basically these, these single ladies that would come in and 
basically mother the kids. They would be completely in charge of the kids growing up, right? That's the idea here, is that the law was a governess. But now that the reality of Christ has come, that governess that was trying to show us that we can't live by the law, that we can't please God in our flesh, in our own efforts, it has, it has led us to Christ. And now we have the fullness. Now we are mature, we're grown up, and we should live as grown-ups. Again, part of this Colossian heresy was was it's great. Now that you've found Christ, it's great. They weren't, they weren't down, well, they were downplaying that. They weren't saying it was a bad thing. Yeah, Jesus is great. Awesome. But now it's time to return. Now that you have Christ, it's time to return to living up to the law. It's time to return to the self-effort to please God. That is not who we are. That's not the reality of what Christ has done. Romans 7, 6 says, but now... We have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Galatians 3, I love these verses. It says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish to having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? I don't know why, but when I read these verses and that whole idea of you foolish Galatians, I think of the old tricks commercials. You guys know tricks? The, the cereal? Yeah. Uh, silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Part of our nutritious breakfast. Right? Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids, right? Oh, go back. Um, that's how I view this verse. Silly Galatians, right? Silly New Testament Christians. Did you come to faith by following rules? Let's just answer that question, right? He, this is a rhetorical question. He knows that they know the answer to this. Did we come to faith by following rules? No, we didn't. So why now that we didn't, we know we didn't come to faith by following rules, why now do we think we can finish the Christian life, complete the Christian life, make up what's missing in our Christian life by following a bunch of rules? That's not what it's about, you silly Galatians. The Colossians were being told that, that yeah, great, be a follower of Jesus. Now here's the checklist, Right? Here's the things that God's people have done throughout time. Now you need to do them. And Paul's like, rip up the checklist. It's a shadow. Christ is the fullness. Remember, our passage started with therefore. This all follows the the ideas that we've had before this, right? Because you might think, well, why not submit to their judgments? Is it really bad? I mean, some of those Old Testament law things are probably good good things, right? It's probably not a bad thing to take a, a Saturday rest, right? Like, why, why is this a problem? It's because they're adding requirements to the faith. He already talked about this in, in uh, verse 9 of this chapter. He says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made what? Complete. Complete. See, these guys were saying, Jesus is fine, but more is needed. No. 
You are complete. But the reason why it's so appealing is that we don't feel very complete, right? We feel like there's a lot missing. And so, and so th- these kinds of uh, philosophies, they really, they really appeal to our flesh and say, yeah, 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 you just need to add a few things here. He says, don't let anyone act as your judge. You are complete. That needs to be the starting point. You don't need Jesus plus prayer, Jesus plus, plus Bible study, Jesus plus church attendance, Jesus plus giving to the church, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus whatever. This idea is widely referred to as legalism. And I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in, in a church, especially early on, where legalism was a bad word. Like, it was, a, it was a four-letter word, even though it's got more letters there, right? <laughs> like, whoo, the last thing you wanted to be called in the church was legalist, right? <sighs> What's interesting, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, some of the, the, the communities I've known that have the most to say about legalism in, in word tend to be the most legalistic in practice, Right? I don't want to submit to your rules. Oh, those people are super legalistic over there. Yeah, but you need to submit to our rules like we got, right? I just came up with, with a brainstorming list of some issues that I think, while the, the issues in the Colossian church are not really modern issues, but we do have some modern issues in this area. Um, things like drinking alcohol, going to a bar, Ooh, you, you went to a, a bar? Like Christians, what? Right? Watching R-rated movies or watching movies with dark themes like horror films and stuff. I told you guys I was going to offend you. Here we go. Um, eating uh, healthy or unhealthy. I don't know if you've heard this, but there's this like, assumption among some circles like, can I be overweight and, and in God's will? Like, that's not, what? This, this is a temple, right? You can't have an overweight temple. Making environmentally friendly choices. Don't you care about God's creation? Judgment. Gambling. What? You went to Vegas and gambled? The types of clothes you wear? Have you ever heard of modesty? What you do on Christmas morning? We got to put the Christ back in Christmas, people, right? Do you read the Christmas story on Christmas morning? Oh, you don't. Mm. We have acceptable reasons why you might miss church. You went to Disneyland? Come on. you just woke up and didn't want to come to church today? Are, are you even a Christian? Right? Getting a tattoo? I think there's actually this, this blanket idea that I got to admit, I, it, it, it rubs me the wrong way because I've seen the damage it's done. And it's this idea of avoiding the appearance of evil. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. This is one of those things that keeps getting repeated in the church so often 
that it's like, yeah, that's truth. People, that's not truth. That idea comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.22. It's the only place that this exists. It says this, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything. Hold firmly to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Well, where's the appearance? Well, the word appearance only occurs in one version of the Bible, the King James Version. And, it, and it's translating this word form, which doesn't mean what, how people use it. That, that appearances must matter. And I need to care about appearances. No, 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 no. This verse is saying, don't do or do good and avoid evil. That's what it's saying. It's not saying avoid people's perception of you, whether you feel evil or not, or they feel like you're evil or not. Avoid all the different ways where someone might think you might be evil. No. In fact, that's directly in contradiction to other passages of Scripture, which are very clear on this idea. This, this is a verse that has haunted me for years because I have cared about appearances. And that's my own flesh being a problem in my own life, right? Galatians 1.10 says, For, for I am, now, am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If my primary concern is whether people, what people think of me, and whether they think I'm a good guy or I'm doing bad things or not, my primary concern cannot be pleasing Christ. It cannot. It's one or the other. It is not our job to keep people from gossiping about us. It's their job to stop gossiping about us. It's our job to live in such a way that God is pleased with us regardless of what they think of us. So can we please just together stop using the whole appearance of evil thing? It's not what the verse means. Put on your hand out if you want to fill it in. Do not submit to anyone's added religious requirements on your life. Do not submit to anyone's added religious requirements on your life. All right, let's keep rolling. Verse 18. He says, take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize. Defrauding a prize is really how it sounds. It's like uh, you're standing on stage, you've got a prize, someone says, I'll take that. I'm going to take your prize from you. Um, I don't know if you, anybody watches the Olympics here. Uh, I don't know if you remember, about 20 years ago, the 2002 Olympics in Salt Lake, um, Melissa really likes figure skating, so I get subjected to a lot of that uh, stuff. Um, so uh, 2002 Olympic Games in Salt Lake, there was a, a, the pairs figure skating um, competition. Uh, there were two top teams, the Russian team and the Canadian team. Um, they were, you know, one-two in the, in the standings. Um, the Russian team comes in, they give their, uh, they do their whole, you know, Deal, triple axle, sow cow stuff, you know, and then, uh, but didn't do so well. 
They had a lot of errors in their program. Uh, the Canadians come in, they skate perfectly. It's considered actually one of the best pair skates of all time. It was so good. Everybody knew who won. The Canadians won, 100%. The scores come up, the Russians won. They do an investigation. Guess what they find out? The judges colluded to make the Russians win. They stole their prize, right? They stole it. It's called Skategate. <laughs> they stole it. Well, how could someone defraud us of our prize? We're not ice skating. I'm not, at least. Look what he says. Take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize by delighting in humility. Well, isn't humility a good thing? Not this kind of humility that he's talking about. This kind of humility is the kind where you lower yourself in order to exalt yourself. You familiar with this? It's, it's false humility. It's like, hey, guys, guys, look at how humble I am. Look at, look at what a servant I am. Look at the depths to which I'm willing to, to, to submit, to, to lower myself to be spiritual. You see how spiritual I am? Check it out. I fast like three days a week. I pray like five times a day, six, seven, eight times a day. I, I pray all the time. Once I went a whole month without eating a single dessert. Man, I'm so holy. Oh, and by the way, how many times have you prayed lately? How many times do you pray every day, right? He goes on, he says, and the worship of angels. We don't know a lot about this practice, to be honest. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture about it. We don't have a lot of details about what actually this worship of angels was. Um, it's likely that angels were seen, because they were messengers of God, that they were see seen as mediators with God. It's a little bit uh, like how um, Catholics view saints, right? They venerate saints. They, they ask saints for things because they think these, these old, old dead, you know, holy people are going to appeal to Christ on their behalf, right? Probably that's what was going on here. These angels can appeal to God on our behalf, right? Uh, he goes on, he says, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. The word visions here is added by the translators to suggest that, uh, that there were claims to like supernatural visions, uh, which is possible, um, but it actually literally here it just says, taking his stand on what he has seen. Uh, I, I, it, it's that... <laughs> His foundation for this, this philosophy, these things he's like touting to people, is based on, on his own experience, his or her own experience, right? Things that they've seen. It might be visions, supernatural visions, but it can just be the, their world around them, their perceptions, their ideas. It's based on their perception of the world and telling people what they think about the world. And because... The, that person's own mind created these ideas, then it puffs the person up. They become proud. I think we can kind of relate to this in, in human experience, right? If we, if we come up with a good idea, uh, like we share that with other people and we go, hey, look, I came up with that. I'm pretty smart. No one else saw what I saw, right? Kind of 
puffs us up. And then maybe we look for acolytes who want to, you know, see, this, see those thing, things the same way we see those things. Our ideas are really good. And if other people go, yeah, those are really good ideas, then it validates us. Oh, look at me. I have good ideas. Or, or if they don't validate us, we get upset with them and go, man, you're so dumb. If you could just see it the way I see it. Right? Literally every man-made religion was started by a puffed-up mind. By someone going, I've got the secret. I've got the inside track. Follow me, listen to me, and you'll have it too. And that's not just other man-made religions outside of Christianity. That's within Christianity. There are a lot of manipulations within Christianity. Yeah, they start with Jesus, because you have to, Right? But then they go, you know what, I have an inside track and how, how, how to get in with Jesus. I've got the right spiritual practice that everyone has missed up to this point. And if you just follow my five-step plan, you'll have Jesus, more Jesus. Or I've got the end times events figured out. No one else has figured them out. I've got them, right? And you need to listen to me. Just recently was watching a documentary. I watch a lot of those. Uh, I like them. Uh, on uh, David Koresh, right? You guys know this guy? Waco, right? It was all about that. All of his followers were like, man, he's got the, he knows. He knows what the end time stuff is all about, right? And man, he could sling that stuff. The problem is all of that is sourced in a human mind. All of that is sourced in, in this puffed up idea that I can figure the things out, that I've got the inside track. And the human mind is fleshly. It's weak. It's vulnerable. It's prone to error. It's only human. And so, verse 19, it's not holding firmly to the head, the source, the, the source, Capital T-H-E, the source, the only source, the linchpin of all truth, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows with a growth, which is from who? God. It's not from us. And anybody who's trying to say, I got the inside track, they're trying to say, I've got it. It's from me. It's sourced in me. Stay away from that. The source has to be Christ. He's the head. He's the one who knows. Because then the growth, the true growth, the real growth, will come from what God's doing in us. Our prize is this new life we have in Christ, right? This mystery of Christ in us. We talked about that in chapter one, right? We have him. Don't settle by being defrauded by those who want to take us from him to their own ideas. It'll steal our prize. But the reason why we need to be guarded against that is because it's appealing. Like all of these human ideas, all of these philosophies, all of these inside track things, they appeal to our flesh. They, they appeal to this idea of my efforts for God which is appealing to us, when the reality is it's God efforts, God's efforts for me and in me, right? 
It appeals to my righteousness. I get to have a, a share in my righteousness. That sounds appealing. Instead of completely his righteousness and depending on him. Right? It, it, it's dependent on my sacrifice for God. That feels good. Instead of his sacrifice for us. And us just going, man, I just got to depend completely on that. I got nothing. It's my abilities put on display for my glory. As opposed to Philippians 3. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost because of Christ. Moreover than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All things lost, all of, all of my glory, all of the, the things that come from me, all just lost. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish. They're garbage. Why? So that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, not even an ounce of righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. All of these ideas, these inside track things, it all appeals to the flesh. It all appears to us securing our own prize by our own efforts. And if we are our own prize, we cannot enjoy the benefits of the real prize, which is Christ in us. Point on the handout is, don't allow the false promises of man-made religious practice steal from you the rewards of the true growth that comes from Christ. Don't allow the false promises of a man-made religious practice steal from you the rewards of the true growth that comes from Christ. He finishes this section with these verses. It says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? What's being described here uh, is there's a, a term for this called asceticism, which is, is the idea of depriving ourselves of, of pleasure, of physical pleasure, Either out of, out of guilt, like I need to pay penance for how messed up I've been, so I need to do something good to kind of balance out the messed upness of, of me. Like I've done this bad stuff, I need to do something good, I need to show up at church, I need to go serve someone, I need to go do something in order to kind of assuage my, my guilt over this, my, 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 my not feeling so, so good about myself and my behavior. The problem with this is what he's already covered in, earlier in chapter 2. Having canceled the certificate of, death, of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Where is all of that guilt and shame? 
It's 2,000 years ago, nailed to the cross. Why do we feel like we have to somehow make up for it? We don't have to make up for it. In fact, it's silly to make up for it, and to put our focus on making up for it just takes us away from the reality of Christ in us. It's done. It's dealt with. It's nailed to the cross. Leave it there. You don't have to make up for anything. He made up for your failure. And I'm sorry that that makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable, but he did it. Or maybe there's a sense that, you know what, if I, if I just, you know, don't do these certain things, if I, if I, if I deprive myself of these things, that, that I'll be more holy. Because holy people deprive themselves of things. Right? He's dealt with that too. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made what? Complete. You don't have to deprive yourselves of things to make yourself more complete. You are holy. It has to start there, or we'll focus on the shadow. We'll focus on the thing that doesn't matter. We're focused on our own efforts. This kind of asceticism or this this, uh, um, idea of asceticism has existed throughout the church. It definitely exists today, too, 100%. But it it has existed through the centuries in in things like vows of poverty, right? I'm 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 going to... I'm going to impoverish myself. Why? You ever, you ever thought that? You ever looked at that reality and gone, why? I think usually we look at that and go, wow, what a holy person that would do that, that would lower themselves to that. Wow, God must be really, really pleased with them as opposed to me who makes you know, a decent living and lives in a nice house. Where do you see that biblically? Right? There, there have been people who have taken on renouncing all physical pleasure. In fact, they do things like only eating bland foods, right? Because you put salt on it or, you know, something sweet like a cookie, and it's like, oh, that, I'm, I'm enjoying some pleasure here. I need to rid myself of that to be more holy. They only wear uncomfortable clothing on purpose. They're like, that is an uncomfortable material. I'm going to put that on my body. Because somehow, right, that makes me more holy. Really? Where do you get that? I think you got that from man-made ideas and from thinking that you're not complete in him. Taking lifelong vows to never get married. Why? Because marriage is, marriage is pretty great. I want to avoid that, right? Can't have things that are, I enjoy. Or abstaining from sex within marriage. This has really existed in the church. Like, I'm married, but we're going to abstain from sex because there's pleasurable experiences there. And I want to be more holy than that. Where do we get that? Self-flagellation, which is something I would never, ever, ever do, but it has existed in the church where people whip themselves. Right? Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Why? That's brings holiness, right? Hmm. Different forms of fasting have have existed throughout the centuries that that have the same idea. Fasting will make me holy. These kinds of philosophies, is what Paul's talking about here, 
are way, way, way too focused on the stuff of this world. They're all about the stuff of this world and depriving ourselves of the stuff of this world. He says, why would you do this as if you were living in the world? Well, you go, well, wait, wait, hold on. I am living in the world. Well, no, 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 no. Right? We are a part of a spiritual kingdom. Yes, we still are in these physical bodies in a physical world, but that's not the thing we focus on. We focus on eternal things. We focus on things beyond this life. We focus on the spiritual, not the physical. And, and when we focus on this kind of stuff and go, yeah, I'm going to deprive myself of things and I'm not going to enjoy pleasurable experiences, we're, we, we're taking our, our focus off of the spiritual, off of the eternal, and, and focusing on the here and now, the temporal, out of a, some desire for holiness. What is that? In fact, God has richly given us many things to enjoy those things, right? 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. This is kind of the opposite of what we're talking about, but this is people who are focusing way too much on the physical world because they're trying to um, put their trust in their riches, the things that they have. But this asceticism is basically the exact same thing on on the opposite side. They're putting all of their faith and their trust on the things they don't have. And all of that is is, is the wrong focus. Because it is God who richly richly supplies us with everything to enjoy. So it's like God gives us some lovely thing. He's like, here, take this. I want this gift for you. I want you to enjoy this. And, And we go, ah, no thank you, Lord. I'm choosing to be holy by rejecting what you're giving me. What is that? It's I know what it is. It's self effort, right? It's not true holiness, it's my holiness, my righteousness, because look, I rejected it. It's more often than not about making yourself feel good than it is about truly being holy. Or it's about giving yourself a platform by which to judge others, because look, they're not depriving themselves. Wrong focus. I really like the subtitle to uh, this book by John Piper. I don't know if you're familiar with, with him, but uh, it's, uh, uh, oh goodness, the name of the book is out of my brain. Um, Desiring God. It's his most famous book. The subtitle to that, anybody read that book? Okay. Do you guys remember the subtitle? It's, it's Confessions of a Christian Hedonist, Right? which a hedonist is someone, it was this movement centuries ago in which um, people were only looking for pleasure, right? In fact, we live in a hedonistic society. But he's like, confessions of a Christian hedonist. Why? Because God has given these things for us richly to enjoy, and we should enjoy them, right? Uh, Verse 23 goes on, he says, uh, these are matters which do have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. The basic idea behind ascetic practice is that in denying yourself of physical enjoyment, 
that must equal a deeper connection with the eternal. It does not. That it must keep me from sinful behavior. It will not. It's very clear. Those things don't do that. If we pursue spiritual gurus who are, who are adding rules onto our lives or telling us to restrict ourselves from, from certain things, um, or we pray to angels or pray to dead saints, right? You might go, hey, that stuff can't hurt. He's saying, yes, it will hurt because it has no ability to address sin in our lives. Well, I, I feel like if I add more rules to my life, It'll help me keep on the straight and narrow. Doesn't that seem sort of logical? Like, I want to stop doing these things. I don't like the sin in my life. I, I want to address the sin, right? I think the way to address the sin is add more rules to my life. There's, there's a logic to that. The problem is, you ever tried it? Are you avoiding sin much? Like, this stuff doesn't work. It's of no value. None of this has any value against fleshly indulgence. And the reason why is it is disconnected from the head. It's disconnected from Christ. It's self-made religion. It's human rules based on human effort. It's human minds creating human tactics to, to address spiritual problems. And it's all very, very appealing but it is all very, very worthless. Because the only thing that can address fleshly indulgence is this mystery of Christ in us. This mystery of death, burial, resurrection of Christ, death, burial, resurrection of us. It's the only thing that can address it. And by the way, boy, can it address it it can really bring victory. Point on your handout if you want to fill it in. Is restricting ourselves from the things that God richly blesses us with has no value in restraining sin in our lives. Restricting ourselves from the things that God richly blesses us with has no value in restraining sin in our lives. read together the bottom of the handout. It says, rules and standards around, abound in our world. Every society and group on the planet have a written or unwritten set of standards that they expect their members to adhere to. Step out of line and you can expect to feel the judgment. For Christians, our standards are found in the person and work of Christ, not in the standards that originate with us and that we want to place on others. He is the plumb line. People will always want to add to his requirements, subtract from our freedom in him, multiply teaching beyond what he has laid down, or divide our attention from the substance of our faith to unimportant matters. That kind of math may appear profitable, but will never do anything to address our human weakness. Real help will only come through holding tightly to Christ, the true source of our new life. There's some questions um, 
had someone this week say, hey, uh, could you write down those questions that you read at the end so that we could have those? They are in your bulletin. You can see them. They're in bold. I made them a little bit bigger this week. Um, they, say, uh, they say this, what are some of the ways that you tend to fold to the expectations of those who want to add rules to your Christian life? What are some teachings today that exist inside or outside of the church that are not centered in the truth found in Christ? And in what ways might you be overly focused on what you're doing or giving up for Christ and not on his work in and through you? Let me pray for us. Lord, we are so thankful for your work in us, so thankful for your work uh, on the cross, your work in conquering death, um, and that you're, you're doing that for us, that you freely offer that to us. Lord, help us to stay away from um, philosophies that sound really good, ideas that want to add um, restrictions onto our life, that want to pile on uh, restrictions on our life out of some um, idea that it's going to make us more holy, that it's going to make us more acceptable before you, which is impossible to be made more acceptable before you. And, and they, they'll claim that they'll help us uh, sin less, um, but they have no way to do that because they lack the power that's found in you. Lord, help us to focus all of our attention on dependency on you, on trusting in you, not just trusting in your work in salvation, in saving us, not just trusting in your work in uh, giving us grace and mercy in regards to our sin and, and justification, but in the work of actually uh, living out this Christian life, that it's not up to us. It doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on our efforts and our work. It doesn't depend on new strategies to, uh, to address different areas of our life. It simply involves us trusting you to be you through us, that your power can overcome all of our sin. Lord, help us to live in the new realities that you've, that, that you've created for us, the, the new person that we are in you. Even though we can't see it, which tends to be the hard thing, um, in, in physical reality, Lord, we trust you when you say that it's true. We trust you in knowing that you can, uh, as you conquered death uh, 2,000 years ago, you can conquer the death of, of our hearts and our lives, that you can conquer the sin in our lives, Lord. We trust you. Thanks for being willing to do that. Praise all your name.